61 District 6, stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time for the world-famous Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero, and I want to thank you for joining us. Every time you guys come and have the opportunity to listen to a little bit of our rhetoric, that's right, I'm calling it rhetoric. Uh, we really appreciate it. And here we are now, time to introduce the king of rhetoric, our co-host Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing, sir? What's happening, brother? Just got back from uh, the Massachusetts EMS Conference in Springfield where we kicked butt and took names. Yeah, I see that you won a, a nice big award. Go ahead and tell the listeners about that. Yeah, yeah, uh, the folks at MedicEd sponsored a uh, EMS trivia contest and, and my mind is nothing if not trivial so uh, the the girlfriend and I and, and a couple of colleagues uh, won the trivia bowl so um, I think that's a aren't you like a ringer though I mean come on eh, well, like a ringer I, no the only the only other time I participated one was in Texas uh, years ago and in, in Bob Page's uh, um, trivia the uh, Valsalva Bowl actually we yeah, won that Bowl. and we kicked well total but. I don't know what year you were there, but we won it one year. It was me, it was John Elder, it was Lisa Bennett, and uh, we went ahead and knocked the heck out of everybody. So. Well, we, we, we beat everyone like they stole something that year in Texas, and then when it came time to hand out the awards, Bob disqualified us because we weren't all from Texas. Oh, yes. So apparently, nice. apparently we were ringers because only one of us was from Texas and the other one was Gary Saffer from Boston and, and myself. So You know what we should do? Just as, just as a, a, for a good radio, you should get a team, I should get a team, we'll get a moderator, yeah, and let's have go. a trivia contest on the show. Well, yeah, we'll do that. And that, uh, it turned out really well because we got a, uh, I didn't even know they were doing this, but we got a... The winning team got a winning team members got a, a Kindle Fire HD. So that's oh, that's sweet. awesome! Very yeah. nice, very nice. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move. You know, uh, Sean yeah. Eddy's tip of the week, and uh, you know we're getting a really a lot of great comments on Sean Eddy's uh, Money Smart Medics, and uh, his tip of the week. And I really like this tip of the week, Kelly, because a lot of times, I mean, you're probably like me. I mean, a lot of times we're using our debit cards, we're going in, we're buying something to eat, we're picking something up at the Walgreens, we're picking something up at the Walmart, and then we finally look at our account at the end of the week we're saying a hundred bucks where the heck did all that money go and and one of sean's tips this week is to say instead of using your debit card take the money out that you're going to need for the week and put it in separate envelopes you know this is for spending money this is for my lunches this is for this and instead of using your debit card it gives you the opportunity to better keep track of what you're spending rather than swiping your card and hoping to pick back up at the end of the week. And uh, we appreciate Sean Eddy giving us that Money Smart Tip of the Week. Don't forget to go to MoneySmartMedics.com and read all his articles and uh, see if you can pick that up. But I thought that was a really good tip this week, Kelly. Yep. <clears throat> yep, that's what I'm, I, I tend to, uh, to try myself because I know when I, I whip out my debit card, I really don't pay attention to how much I'm spending. Uh, and, you know, the act of just taking it out, putting in those envelopes, segregating the money probably helped me keep uh, a little better track of, of how much I'm laying out uh, every shift and, and at least, you know, practice a little more restraint with it. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, we just think as long as we keep swiping, man, there's money there. And, That's right. you know, then we go ahead and look at it and we say, man, we just lost $300 yeah. somewhere. Where the heck did that go? Yeah. 
Exactly. Right. You know, I can't be out of money. I still have checks. That's right. That's the old days. That's the old yeah. days of kiking, remember? That's right. Oh, man, I kited many a check back in the day. Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and talk about the news. Let's give my our first news story. Well, um, uh, if you've, uh, unless you've been hiding under a rock the last few days, we have a, a few more active shooter scenarios. How sad! How uh, sad are these things, man? It's it's ridiculous. But you know, and one was in Canada, which looks to be, or several were in Canada, looks to be a uh, a coordinated terrorist attack, from what we're reading there in Canada. One. Um, one Canadian soldier was shot as he stood guard at the uh, War Memorial in Ottawa. And, you know, we our, our hearts go out to, uh, prayers go out to he and his family. These look to be coordinated terror attacks in, in Canada. And, and yeah. meanwhile, a, uh, a uh, student uh, shot his girlfriend and a couple other students and himself at a uh, at a high school in Washington, and I just you know it goes goes back to uh, what we said before. Uh, I think the only thing that stops a mass shooter is a uh, is another armed person, uh, right. and if there's not another armed person, the, the mass shooter usually stops stops himself by uh, by committing suicide. You know, one uh, of the other things too, just to cut you off, is that uh, there was a, a hatchet wielding man on the streets of New York that. Uh, went ahead and nailed a couple of uh, police officers one's in critical condition from the last uh, that i've heard and of course his partner went ahead and uh, killed that guy and i believe he was hurt a little bit as well you know one of the things that i want to piggyback off your story here is that uh, it was on the world news tonight with uh, david muir last night that isis has put on their uh, websites that people who are sympathetic to their cause need to seek out people in uniform military officers and unfortunately i think that uh you know puts us in there so we need to keep our head on a swivel and make sure that we're looking our backs uh, or looking at our backs uh when we really didn't have to do in the past yeah you know and i'm i'm, I'm not going to delve into the the politics behind behind all that I, I have my own opinion that we should you know basically just uh take all the isis controlled territory and make a great big parking lot out of it yeah i'm with you man um, one big mall put i mean tell me walmart <laughs> won't do something there yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm sure but yes we need to we need to be very aware because uh you know these guys are, are practicing uh asymmetrical warfare and, and we need to be prepared for anything um and uh, just remember, guys, you know, that you EMS responders, when these active shooter scenarios, we may be the first, some of the first people into the scene, and uh, we need to be prepared for what we may see and, and, uh, and uh, stay on our toes. Yeah, and I think we had that complacency, but I'm with you. So my story is going to go to the all Ebola all the time. And uh, now we've got uh, a New York doctor test positive. I'm not going to say, I mean, a lot of people are, you know, up in arms, but this guy did it right, man. Here you got yeah, a doctor without borders. Himself. Right. You got Doctors Without Borders. You know, he knew he was treating uh, patients. He came back to the United States. And the very minute that he realized that he had symptoms, he went ahead and got in touch with the authorities. He had himself quarantined and hopefully minimized his contact with other people. But, you know, the people in the EMS world, I mean, they're losing their minds now when it comes to uh, preparing for Ebola and, you know, daily conference calls and daily emails. And the CDC is changing guidelines every day. And, you know, everybody just calm down. I want to bring up one point is that more people have been married to kim kardashian than have died in the united states of ebola you know it's it's like sharknate ebola uh the end is near reading one one news story that uh ebola ready ambulances are 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 on the streets now in texas ready to rock 
Alrighty then. What is an Ebola ready ambulance? Is well, I got to tell you, we just like a clean one. Yeah, I mean, we we did we did it we did it too, though. You know, so one of the things that we want to be prepared is as we're listening to all this rhetoric as a leader. One of the things that we're doing is we're looking at the plans. What would be what would be our plan? Because I got to tell you, I mean, this is just the the cusp of you know this epidemic. Is it possible that we could have an epidemic in the United States? Well, it's always possible that those things can happen. So what I'm taking this opportunity to do is I'm taking this opportunity to educate. I'm taking this opportunity to train. I'm taking this opportunity to prepare and have a plan just in case the day comes. And we've went ahead and looked at what they did down in Grady EMS. You know, we've uh, set up our ambulance. There's a place that's right here down the road from us, and we're hoping to get some uh, FaceTime with them, that they made the inner lining for the jet that brought the people back from... Uh, Africa and brought them to Emory in Atlanta and they're right here in St. Louis yeah and they they have a uh, isolate that goes on the stretcher that we're hoping to maybe do a little article on or maybe even get them on as on the show but uh, so I I think we just do have to prepare but I don't think we need to go crazy for it man yeah well and speaking of preparedness are are you guys ready for uh, uh, prepping for more potential civil unrest when they when they release the uh, the grand jury findings for, uh, in the, um, in the uh, shooting there in, in Ferguson? You know, one of the things that we wanted to look at is hopefully, uh, you know, nothing happens within our community. But again, you know, going back to my statement about the Ebola is we take this opportunity to say the mm-hmm. first time this happened in early August, we were blindsided with it. You know, we were running, pulling our pants up, and hopefully, uh, you know, we, we did a good job and uh, our career field was proud of us for the work that we did. But now as we think about the future, I hope nothing else happens. But hope is not a strategy. Exactly. And yeah, so we, we developed a plan. We met with our partners to say, not if something happens when the grand jury comes out, but what if this ever happened again, what would we do? So sure. we have those plans in place. And again, it, it's a great training opportunity. It's a great time to educate. Yep. And hopefully between you and I, um, people find some solace in the uh, judgment or in the, uh, um, the ruling and we don't see any more uh, people get hurt over this. We hope we hope so. And and as you pointed out, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. And and uh, hopefully all your uh, uh, all the the uh, safeguards you put in place will will make anything Ebola or, or more civil unrest a, a non-event. Right, I'm with um, you. Our uh, our next story is uh, the flight medic of uh, Air AVAC Life Team uh, that crashed in in Wichita Falls uh, last month has has died has succumbed to his injuries. Johan Vanderkoff the fourth died from from the injuries he sustained in the crash on October the fourth. Uh, joining his his crewmates Leslie Stewart uh, um, and uh, the pilot is still surviving Zachariah Smith. You know. Uh, Godspeed, brother. Uh, it's uh, I hate to uh, to add this to the tally of, of another uh, EMS right. flight crew. I guess we can just say that that we uh, it's a dangerous job, and when we utilize our, our our flight crews, make sure that we're we're running them for a reason uh, right. and not just because of, of uh, some silly protocol. Um, they are literally putting their lives on the line when they when they lift off the pad, and it needs to be uh, there needs to be a, a solid reason for it. Yeah, and I think we utilize you know we abuse it, and you yep. know it, it, you know it's funny, and I'll give you a quick story because I was a little bit uh, uh, I don't want to use the word upset, but I was a little bit uh, perplexed this week. 
You know, we had a uh, drowning uh, in the bathtub of a child. We brought him to our facility, which isn't the children's facility, and uh, we wound up getting a pulse back, and they did a great job in the ED. And our ambulances are sitting right outside. There's five ambulances sitting outside the ER, and they decide to call in the helicopter to transport this kid down to the the, um, the children's facility, which was about maybe 20 minutes away, you know, uh, I, I, I could have had the kid. I could have had the kid in the ambulance and down there before that helicopter even got off the pad. Well, then you know, and that just that just goes to show we, we can't only point the blame at, at ground medics and, and volunteer EMS agencies and, and all the usual suspects that we like to pick on about helicopter abuse. Uh, even emergency physicians are are uh, susceptible to uh, raging cases of rotoriasis. So um, I like you know, that. I like that yeah. raging cases of rotoritis. Yeah, it's just. Um, just uh, entranced by the the romance of flying someone out. Um, I bet you that doesn't go away with penicillin, right? No, no, it probably doesn't go away with penicillin, but it will go away with uh, with uh, lack of uh, lack of funding and, and that sort of thing. If, he meant it. If, if there were some if there were some mechanism in place where you know if insurance uh, companies said what you flew him for what. Uh, no, we're not going to pay that. Well, that kind of thing would stop. But yeah, but then you didn't you stick that bill on the family for thirty, that's forty thousand dollars? You know, that, there have been some families. You know, that's that. Those are stories in the media as well, where you know families and and uh, patients have said, "What? No way would I if I had known how much it cost. Uh, no way would I have agreed to the flight." Right. Uh, so. So let's go ahead. We'll transition to our clinical issue, and I think we have a good one. You know, we touched bases on it last week uh, where we talked about cameras. But before we do that, you and I are starting to receive uh, quite a few emails uh, about the show, and uh, there was one that came from Matt. Uh, you and I had the discussion uh, a couple weeks ago about ALS versus BLS, mm-hmm. and are we going to... Uh, uh, you know, what the, does the EMS of the future look like? Do we need to expand the scope of the EMTs? And you and I really, and, and Matt sent us this email, and we really appreciate Matt's comments, that we really glossed over the EMT intermediate. And, yeah, uh, or the AMT. Yeah, we, that's on us. Uh, I, 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 I paid absolutely no attention to that, and that would be the perfect, you know, uh, the perfect bridge between uh you know the needs of uh, of ALS versus you know the efficiency and the the easier to field uh, BLS providers. I think that would be a perfect compromise. So we appreciate all them emails, and don't forget if you have any questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and email us, email us at the show at ems1.com, and we try to answer all those emails. And uh, we appreciate all the listeners that are out there. But Kelly, let's go ahead and transition. You and I last week yeah. we talked about uh, cameras in the back mm-hmm. of the ambulance. And, uh, you know, we, it was kind of an offshoot of what we were talking about, but we did get quite a few responses on this, and I do want to hear our debate on this. Uh, I know your side. I think you know my side. I'm going to yep. let you go ahead and kick this off, and let's go ahead and uh, delve into the clinical issue. Well, this, this stems from uh, a recent story that, that Chris and I had uh, of uh, a medic who was, um, who was accused of fondling a woman in the back of the ambulance. And Chris postulated that, you know, if... Uh, uh, would would cameras in the back of the ambulance uh, be the way to stem this sort of thing? And, and I I disagree. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's a uh, a uh, 
<clears throat> an overreaction to a, a problem that does not occur all that much. And I know you and I probably disagree on that as well. I think we see more, I think, I think we see more of these cases of medics behaving badly simply because of the 24 hour news cycle and, and the, the ease at which we uh, obtain information in this age. Uh, I don't think it happens any more often. We just hear about it more often, but I don't think cameras are the, the, uh, um, the answer, um, and I don't like the fact that, you know, it's tantamount to admitting that, you know, we need Big Brother looking over our shoulders to behave ourselves. I think it's kind of silly. You know, I think that one of the things that we need to think about, though, is we need to think about the liability. And the liability is, are people going to say we're doing the wrong thing? And I think that there's, you know, nowadays we're starting to see all these police officers putting cameras on their uniforms and putting cameras on their glasses what are they doing that for they're well, doing it to mitigate the liability well we're just as liable in this litigious society and if we have something that's in the back that's able to you know kind of capture what we're doing i don't want to catch anybody doing anything wrong but of course you and i know that there could be some of that that goes on and that's just the the casualty of war let's say but as far as the, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on, is that really a bad thing? Well, you know, first of all, I think we're comparing apples and oranges, you know, because uh, law enforcement wearing with dash cams and, and body cameras, you know, their interaction with the public is fundamentally an adversarial relationship. I know that they're, they're you know, their motto is to protect and serve, but generally when, when police interact with, uh, with the citizenry, um, there is quite often a, an adversarial relationship. They're the bad guys or they're, they're pitted against one another. And to resolve those kind of, or to, you know, at least mitigate some of that, uh, that he said, she said, um, they have the dash cam and the body cam. Uh, I don't think we need that. You know, and, and while it may sound like a good idea at first, I, I think this is, you know, to, to borrow the old military phrase, this is getting the camel's nose under the tent, and we don't know where this will go. Um, does it sound like a great idea? Well, maybe, um, but my my uh, litmus test for any new law or, or any uh, any new rule pass is to, is to imagine that, that technology or that law um, used by my worst enemy. Um, and if I don't think it's a good idea practiced by my worst enemy, I, I don't support it. Where do you go? Where do you go with this, though? Where do you go with the thought of being able to look at the patient from the ED as we're, we're you know, telemedicine is, is really has a place in EMS. And especially now, as we start to talk about community paramedicine and doing primary care in the home, I think telemedicine has a big component. What about doing that for our, you know, uh, you know, for the patients that are in the back that we could just plug right into the ED and, so, and say, doc, we're coming to you with this trauma patient. We're coming to you with this MI. This is what the patient looks like right now. I, I just want to go ahead and touch on one of the other emails we got, Kelly, was from Dave in Tucson, Arizona. And they started started using onboard cameras a couple years ago and they've had very very positive outcomes for trauma and cardiac calls how about it in that sense well okay here's my question um do <laughs> i'll ask you a question uh, in response do you do you employ um knowledgeable professional paramedics who are able to engage in critical thinking and make good clinical decisions i would like to i would like to think so yes i think we have a really great team why do you need a camera to assure that i i don't know that i'm i have the camera to ensure that they're being professional that they're ensuring that they're doing their job you know but why do we have online medical control then well we we do have online medical control but why what's the difference 
those those are for the those are for those you know infrequent cases where we have to actually you know consult a physician and most of our uh, you know most of the better systems and the better medics out there are able to to operate uh, using their clinical operating guidelines and 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 make those decisions you know somewhat autonomously. Now you, you say that the cameras might be a, a great resource, but who is to say that you know the unintended consequences might be ten years down the road that uh, they don't need to know that we'll just look in and, and and use the camera hookup and we'll make that diagnosis or we'll make that call ourselves. So you mean the conspiracy theorists now that we're no, just going to no, use that a, we're just going to not a conspiracy theory, but first of all, I don't buy I don't buy the argument there that, that doctors at an emergency department have the time to to look at a camera or look at a video screen on a regular basis. I don't think that's going. But were it to happen uh, and, and this became a widespread technology, I can fully see that uh, that the the camera is used for for purposes that we didn't originally intend in the same way that that protocols have a way of of being uh, written for the lowest common denominator but don't you think that happens because yeah so i get your point so what you're saying is me as the boss i'm sitting in my office in my leather chair in an air-conditioned room while you guys are out in the middle of the summer sweating in the back of the box and i'm just going to go ahead and punch up the camera to see what's going on in the back of the ambulance Uh, it's or um not just that, but you know, we know that, that protocols, for example, are, are written. Their intention is to be a, a clinical floor to make sure that the worst paramedic provides at least, or the the worst paramedic provides at least the same basic care as the best paramedic. But at what they wind up being more often is a clinical ceiling, making the the uh, best paramedic dumbest care down to the worst. Where do you um, and, and with with cameras, you, you wind up being the same thing. You know, you may wind up being uh, it may start off being a, a, a resource for medics to consult with medical control and, and if they can't paint a picture uh, in their report, well then you can look at a picture uh, on the video screen, but who knows what, it may you know morph in, in five, ten years down the road where the doctor wants to look at every single call. Well, let me ask you that he's got a resource that, well, you know, he's got a resource now that he can utilize. Why trust a paramedic to use his head? I can look at the patient myself. But there may be, there may be catalysts to look at that specific, that specific crew because of whatever, you know, they've had protocol deviations, they've had mismanagement of patients, they've had whatever it is, you know, but let, let me go ahead and twist it a little bit for you. Where do you stand on using the drive cams in the front of the cab? Because you know that the drive cams not only look forward through the windshield, they also look on the ca- back uh, towards the cab as well. And sometimes they catch those medics who are running those lights, who are speeding on their phones, they're texting. Um, where, where do you stand on that? I, I do believe that the, I, I would support the drive cams uh, because of, of the safety, the inherent safety issues, not just the, the outward looking drive cams that, you know, could could uh, help uh, defend a medic in, in, in a lawsuit involving an ambulance accident. But uh, as you pointed out, those things that, that catch the medics uh, texting or, or distracted driving or, or spot a fatigued driver uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but there's a big difference between the cab of that truck and the back of that truck. I think the patient compartment is sacrosanct that, you know, it's, it's you and the patient back there. Um, and, and there's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big line to cross to put a camera back there in those rigs. You know, 
let me paint an analogy for you. Why are there no cameras in emergency department treatment rooms? Um, you know, do you think the doctors might want to look in on the nurses uh, doing their assessments and charting and, and providing treatments? Yeah, but the doctor's right there. They're in the pl- yeah, hey, doc, the doc, could you come in here? We have a little bit of problem. Let me ask you this. Let me take this from a leader's, leadership standpoint. I'm going to bring these cameras into the, into the organization. Would you feel comfortable with this process if I gave you the ability to turn those cameras on and off rather than me be able to access those cameras? I would be I would be comfortable with that technology. I think that would be a, a, a valuable resource if I had the uh, if I made the decision whether to turn them on or not and and utilize them. Uh, can you, as a leader, uh, assure me that 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 will never expand and and that it'll stay that way? Yeah, I would think so. To me, you know, I, I feel comfortable with the opportunity to get in the back of the ambulance and take care of the neonate. Uh, or the 100-year-old person who is uh, in, in uh, multi-system failure. But, but, and I'm sure the same thing with you. I mean, Kelly, you're, you're a great clinician. You know, you've, you've got great clinical knowledge. But we're not talking about you and I. We're talking about people that are, are newer to the career field. We're talking about people that are building their confidence. We're talking about people that are building their knowledge base. And if they have the opportunity to interact with a physician to say, Doc, where should I go next? I think it builds that confidence. I think it, I think it develops that relationship. But I could tell you this. If we put cameras in the back of the ambulances and I gave you control of those cameras, I would give you my assurance that I wouldn't change that protocol. Well, that's, that's great. And, and, and if with that caveat, I could support it. I just, and I don't want to sound like a Luddite here. It's, oh, I don't want this. We don't need all this technology in the truck. But, but you know, you've seen this as well as I have, is that, you know, technology does not necessarily make us any smarter. And, and we, and, you know, we, we've got kids at, uh, kids behind the counter at, at, at the uh, local fast food joints that can't calculate change anymore. And uh, people can't, people have no, no uh, common sense and they'd much rather consult Google than anything else. You know, we have, uh, the, the human species has a way of, of uh, leaning too much on our, on our toys and, uh, and, you know, taking the lazy way out. Uh, and this is this is yet another one of those things. It's probably just ripe for laziness. And in EMS, uh, my opinion, you may not share it, is that we we have a really bad habit in this profession of thinking that cool toys and technology are the answer to deficiencies in education. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I was just talking to my daughter. She's getting ready to take her ACT exam uh, today, as a matter of fact, for her college entrance. And she told me that she had to go back to her um, her grammar, her eighth grade grammar books to find out where to use a comma. And I said to her, I said, so what have you been doing all this time? And she said, well, I've been using grammar check. Yeah, let's eat, grandma. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you bring up a really great point. But, Kelly, it sounds like we got a clinical issue here. We do, and, and we'd like to know what you think. Uh, I know what Chris thinks, and, and Chris is wrong, and I'm right, but we'd like Always. to know. Are you ever Are you ever wrong? I just want to know that. I'll, yes, August the 17th, 1987, I was wrong. Um, I thought I was wrong about something, but I was actually right. So in that sense, I, I was incorrect. Craziness, just craziness. I'm, I'm perfectly willing to admit that I'm wrong. Uh, it's just that I'm so rarely wrong, it doesn't happen all that much. And when it comes to dealing with me, it seems that you just don't want to be wrong. This, this is true. Well, okay. Um, but, yeah, we want to hear your thoughts. So 
email us at the show at ems1.com and let us know your your thoughts uh cameras in the uh in the patient compartment are they a good idea or not and uh, we, uh, as we transition, we did have a guest lined up for today, but uh, they did have some challenges getting to us. So we're going to pass at our, yes. we're going to pass on our at the guest table. And uh, with that, I think it's time that we should get out of here. So Kelly, why don't you go ahead and give them the closing, and let's go ahead and get out of here for the week. Guys, thanks, thanks as always for tuning in to uh, Chris and I uh, debate the EMS issues of the day and cover the the uh, latest EMS stories in the news. And we'll catch you next week on Inside EMS.